Wild women, welcome. This is the Femme Podcast. If you're new around here, I'm Jack, one half of the Femme Duo. Before you dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up. The Femme Podcast is on season number two. You're about to listen to an episode from season one, which was the Spiritual Smackdown podcast where we invited women to rise from rock bottom. So season one is all about the Spiritual Smackdown. Season two is all about rising from greatness to greatness. More on top of more on top of more. It's where we tap into everything your woman desires. The money, the sex, the wealth, the power, the pussy desires. Start here and then come join us for season two. We're waiting. It's like a little tap on the butt or a huge womp on the booty. A spiritual smackdown is the universe's way of saying, hey, you, it's time for a change. It's time to listen to your intuition. You know, that little voice you've been ignoring. It's time for something bigger, something miraculous. But before you get to experience those highs, you got to shift through the lows. Oh, those lows. And those often start at rock bottom. Hey, I'm Rob. And I'm Jack. We're best friends and business partners. We life together, work together, play together, and somehow we ended up here. With a community of thousands of badass, beautiful women who want more from life than staying surface level. Welcome to the Spiritual Smackdown Podcast. This is for the wild woman ready to rise. The woman ready to up-level her game in soul-driven business and elevate to the next level of her being. This podcast is going to connect you with women who are out in the world having a massive impact. This podcast is going to call on your truth. This podcast is going to initiate massive breakthroughs in your life and business to bust through the limits that are keeping you stuck exactly where you are right now. We're going deeper than surface level. We're going to the depths of healing to trigger your revolution. We're tapping into the struggles of growing and operating six-figure businesses, being totally broke and then rising to riches. We're diving into the spiritual growth, getting clear on what you want, learning how to ask for it, owning your worth, gaining confidence, and becoming a total queen of pleasure to raise your vibe and magnetize your reality. We're teaching you how to get strategically aligned in your business and challenging you to strip your business of all the weighted shoulds. And then we're going to watch your bank account start growing with more ease than ever before. So welcome to this space, a space for you to finally understand and celebrate that where you are right now is the perfect place to rise. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes, fill your cup with coffee or wine, and come get real with us as we spit our truth and get ready to rise. Hello, ladies. Welcome back to the Spiritual Smackdown podcast for the wild woman ready to rise. Today, we have Aaliyah Francisco with us. Aaliyah and I have known each other since my Toronto days, um, since way back when, way back when, and I had a children's clothing store. Aaliyah worked for me and helped me run that store. So we have, yeah, Aaliyah's been in my world for a while, and we really wanted to bring her on today. She is the founder of Molo Baby. She is a mother living in Toronto with three young girls. She is a mama first, a leader, a doula, a hypnobirthing educator, a meditation coach, a yoga instructor, an essential oils educator as well. And we really wanted to bring her on today to have a conversation between three women, two white women and a black woman who are here to really just talk about our experience of what has been going on in the world, the Black Lives Matter movement, and just to really like, yeah, to dive into an honest, real conversation of how we're all feeling. Aaliyah, welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. This is like a long time dream of mine to be sitting with you ladies. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been following you for ages. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking and sharing your heart with us and just, yeah, allowing us to have this conversation feels like honestly such a blessing. I feel that way too. Thank you so much. So yeah, why don't we just start by hearing your, your experience through, you know, everything that's been going on as a business owner, as a black woman, as a spiritual activist, as someone who's just navigating the waters of the world right now? 
Thank you. As a mother, as a leader, like, yeah, we're just like ready to dive into all of it. Mm, I appreciate that. Thank you. I feel that there was something that was different about this murder of George Floyd. And on the 25th of May, when I heard about that with my husband, I literally broke down. And it has not been something that's been new in the media or that's been happening in Black lives. This is the century old story and history that we're facing here. But for whatever reason, that particular account of George Floyd's death was murder, rather, just hit a boiling point with that. And it was the footage that I watched of how it was done with such callous. There wasn't even passion to it. It wasn't even, it was a exertion of so much anger or passion. It was just like he could do it. The police officer was able to do it. And so he did it. And I just looked at my husband and I just thought, you know, this has to stop. This has to stop. Like, this is not okay. It was a a slow build for me. I'm a, a wellness advocate with doTERRA and I educate on essential oils as well as being a girl empowerment instructor, which I lead classes on girl empowerment. And a lot of the times, you know, I'm leading people in the white community and it's a lot of white girls that I'm leading. And I have had the thought before that I need to go into areas where I'm empowering black women, you know, as a black woman, that's something that is important to me, that it's not that it's not important for everybody, but also I recognize that this is sort of an availability that I would like to ensure that I'm making myself available to offer this to women of color as well. Same thing with yoga. I do teach children's yoga and I really have been looking for places where I could volunteer my time as a yoga instructor and go into schools because I really believe that the foundation of our worth comes from a deep knowing that there is nothing that we are not and that this context of being defined by a skin color is really a false narrative and to access the space of knowing that the wisdom And the worth that we're seeking is within, it has nothing to do with external validation, is something that I have been growingly impassionate about introducing to young Black lives in particular. So I think, and I also had an experience, if I may just share that with my daughter, so we're doing homeschooling now with my three girls, my daughter, Bennett, who's my youngest, she's five, we were looking at Natural Geographic on her Epic platform where you can read books, audio version. And we were reading about the pyramids that were built by Egyptians and the people that were depicted as the Egyptians were fair-skinned. And this is just an example of sort of the covert racism that we face every day, where it's inaccurate, historically inaccurate to depict the people of Africa as fair-skinned. They were Black they weren't white. But again, it's accomplishment. It's again, robbing the history of these accomplishments of black people to sort of make the context that we don't even necessarily catch it. But what we're taking in is that anything that was of value, everything that has context of accomplishment or capability or brilliance in our history books, even in platforms like National Geographic, which are supposed to be historically accurate, are not depicting history correctly. And this is sort of the microaggressions that we're seeing daily. Yeah. So at the largest scale, it's murder and it's lives being lost for no reason. And at a more sort of daily insidious systemic level, it is these robbing of our history, of our stories, of our contributions, which essentially is just telling us that you're not worthy. You're not part of these stories. You're not part of the history. If you don't see yourself in these stories, then you don't have the context, which can be very empowering when you see someone who looks like you accomplishing something, right? Which is, we talk about white privilege and that's part of the privilege is being able to see yourself in these roles as CEOs or founders or presidents or what what have you as a regular inundation of that. You really have the ability to see yourself as setting the sky's the limit. And when you're not portrayed as in those roles, it's a form of conforming to the belief system that you don't belong in those places, right? When the only part of your history that's told is of slavery and of incarceration and those kind of things, it's a very disparaging conversation to have for people. Mm -hmm. I'm just like feeling as I'm thinking about this right now too. I mean, obviously here as three mothers too. And, and I mean, Aaliyah, no wonder why you and I have stayed connected over these years, just our beliefs about raising, you know, conscious children and the work that we get to do as women in this world. 
just what you said there is like so powerful because not only are you talking about, you know, you and like being, you know, how you're then able to show this to your kids, but then, you know, how are we leading our kids as well? How are we mothering our kids to really, you know, I feel like this has been talked about in terms of business to be like inclusive, not just welcoming. I'm really excited to be learning from women like you to how to really raise children who are going to be operating differently in this world. Well, and I feel so, I mean, I understand this now, but in the beginning, one of the things that made me feel so naive when this entire Black Lives Matter movement started, and once we heard about George Floyd and everything really started to, um, like the action started to take place, you know, I feel like there was this overwhelming response of white people being like, well, I'm not racist. You know, I'm not racist. I'm I'm welcoming like and what I really learned was the definition of anti-racism and the difference between yeah, being welcoming and you know, not being racist but also of taking action in terms of like creating equity and like giving the recognition and you know, so for me in that conversation with your daughters what I'm learning is because for me, I don't know that this may be really embarrassing, but I don't know that I would honestly be looking at that National Geographic and even recognize that the depiction of the African-Americans was wrong. You know, like it's not something I would have looked for to raise my voice about, to speak up about. And now what I've learned is that it's my responsibility to stand up for that and to teach my daughter, right? To be like, actually, what we're looking at right now at this moment in time in history, what you're learning about is wrong. Like this book is wrong. And to find a resource that can teach her the right thing, right? To show her the Black people building the pyramids and to, to change the narrative around that in my house. Is that right? Like, is that kind of taking the right thing, like the right action. Yeah, that's beautiful, Robin. First of all, thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty in this conversation, because I think that is the component that will continue to see this movement have longevity. So this isn't a race to the finish. This is, you know, the slow build. This is long game that we are asking these questions. And I really love to meet everybody's inquiries, my own included, with compassion. So thank you for being honest that it's not something that you would have even recognized as out of the ordinary that, you know, people in Africa would have been depicted as white when in fact they were black. Right. And I mean, I'm like over here looking at me being like, oh my God, when I say that, it sounds so stupid. And like, maybe I would have been like, well, this is weird. Like, why are those people white? Like maybe I would have, but now I will be looking for it. Absolutely. And you know what? I can relate to that. I can relate to that in regards that I totally normalized being the only person in the room who looked a certain way or every show that was pop culture or readily available depicted one story of people that looked a certain way. Every magazine looked a certain way and every, you know, all the stuff that you didn't have to search for or be knowledgeable in was just readily available, depicted one type of person and it wasn't me. And I totally normalized that. I remember even a friend a couple of years ago asking me like, have you ever experienced racism? I live in Toronto in Canada. And I, I remember saying to her outright, like, I haven't, I feel privileged because I haven't, because what I was considering racism was overt racism where you're targeted and you're pulled over and you're arrested and you're beaten. And that's extreme. But racism is also insidious in the day-to-day -day things of, again, not being depicted in pop culture or in, in media as somebody who's capable and who can go to the top and not seeing that is a form of oppression. Because again, what the dialogue is saying, what it's teaching us is that, you know, we are the gatekeepers as the white community. We hold the key to that. And maybe we'll hold space for some of you to come in that are people of color or black, you know, to come in, we might create, but the truth of that is, is that we also have the capabilities and the intelligence and the brilliance to be our own gatekeepers and to create those platforms and those opportunities. 
And, and to answer your question, Robin, to go back to that, yes, that would be the right way to, a very progressive way to navigate that within the home with a child is to say, like, let's find real history. So what we're doing with the girls is that we have books on the shelves that depict people of different colors. It's not always the stories of strife and slavery. We have books where the leading character is a Black little girl, and it's just telling the story of a Black little girl. We have a, a book on, it is Little Red Riding Hood, but it's a depiction of, you know, Little Red Riding Hood is Black. So it's not just, or a book on mermaids, but the mermaid is Black. So it's just inclusive in that regards. Or it's books where there's a multiculturalism. So there's a whole bunch of different races that you're seeing, and they're gathered together. A book on love that talks about that, and, and it brings, you know, humanity to the center of the conversation, and that's depicted in featuring people of all colors and contributions and genders and what have you. So again, what I'm asked a lot is about having the conversation with a child about racism. What I say is, first, you need to have an environment that's showing your child that you are invested in this conversation by having things that surround them that don't look exactly like them. So Mm -hmm. picking TV shows that show other kinds of people, supporting authors that look like other kinds of people, reading books, having a library of books that are encompassing other kinds of storylines so that in their environment, they're seeing that so that the first time that they encounter someone of diversity who doesn't look like them, that's not the first time because you have an environment that's supporting this world that you're saying you want to create. So yeah, again, it's looking at the joy stories. I like to call them the joy stories. Like Black history is a rich history. We, you know, are derived from queens and kings and, you know, pyramid builders, people who built the pyramids, which were the highest freestanding buildings before the Eiffel Tower. Like there's a rich history there, which I really encourage everybody to delve into and to share with their children. Yeah, I love that so much. And it's such a good reminder, you know, to like really take a look at our own world inside of our homes, on our bookshelves, on our nightstands, on our televisions, and to like really give ourselves the challenge and the opportunity to diversify. And, you know, I remember when my littlest girl, and again, I may be putting myself on the chopping block here, but whatever. It's an honest conversation. But I remember when Wave was little, I was going to buy her a set of dolls or something like that. And I thought, oh, should I buy her like an Asian doll and a black doll and like mix it up, diversify her doll collection. And, you know, and then I thought to myself, like, and I will take full responsibility for not doing the research or like getting educated on this after. But I remember having like one or two conversations about it because I really was unsure if I do that. And we do have multicultural dolls now, but I was like, if I do that, am I creating separation? Right. Mm -hmm. Am I then showing her like, we are different. And like when people say things like, I don't see color, you know, and you're like, okay, but that doesn't make sense because we're all different skin colors. So like, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of this conversation in my house before where I was like, I really don't know what the right thing to do is, you know? And I feel like now I am really learning and it feels good to be able to stand for something and to make like, it feels like empowered decisions, which feels good, like, which feels human. Yeah. And I feel like what's, you know, bringing to the light right now when we talk about, okay, like how we're growing and evolving as humanity too. Like now there's no more saying, like, I didn't know. There's no more saying, like, I wasn't aware that there's no more excuse for that. Well, and I think too, we have permission to ask now, you know, we have permission to find out like three years ago. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what the right thing is. I was like, Oh, whatever. I'll just figure it out on my own, see what happens organically. And now I'm like, that's not an excuse. Hmm. You know, like it's not an excuse to not know, like go find the answer, go figure out what the right thing is rather than just like, Oh, it'll just work itself out. Right. And this is like another example of not racist, like not practicing racism, but also not being anti-racist. Because it's charged, right? This whole issue and topic of race is a really charged topic. So where we feel like we could readily navigate informing ourselves of other topics, race for for us is really difficult, has been difficult for us to navigate because there are there's such a charged history there that we know the playing field is not even. It's not 
the same for everyone. And so to navigate that, there's the potential of hurting someone inadvertently. And we don't want to cause pain to to someone by not knowing. And, and that can be a very vulnerable place to be in. But what I encourage you is to get vulnerable. And of course, absolutely exposure to differences is not the problem. It's because we are not celebrating the differences, in fact, and that we kind of want to all amalgamate and be one, which one speaks to the innate worthiness of all of us, which has nothing to do with race, creed, color, circumstances, right? Like that's innately, we are one in that regard. You know, we, we are connected in that way and that's true, but we can't bypass that some are not treated as equal. We're not treated as one right now. So exposure to that noticing differences is beautiful. What we make those differences mean is all the difference in the world. So if, and I let my children choose their own dolls. They'll go into the store and they'll navigate towards something. And I kind of allow them to sort of make that decision on their own. And my three girls are biracial. Their dad's white and I'm black. And they have a lot of biracial exposure in their lives because I'm one of four girls. I have three sisters. One of my brother-in-laws is black. Two others are white. So we have nephews. So we have this sort of rainbow of appreciation in our family. My maternal grandfather was was white. So we have sort of this multiculturalism within our own family. So I find for us, it's a bit different in terms of navigating their choices because they have an exposure to everything. Back to that question though, I get asked this a lot. Like my daughter noticed that the barista serving us was black and I didn't know how to navigate that conversation. Well, navigate it compassionately navigate it with curiosity, have a conversation with it. What we tend to do when it revolves around race is to shy away from the conversation because we don't know what to say. And the messaging that we're giving our kids is that there's something here that's not being said and we we don't know why. And so it just leaves it sort of open-ended for them to make their own minds up about that. Whereas if you are out in nature and you, your child notices like that tree looks different from the bush over there, or the bush looks different from the sun. We welcome those observations. We don't shut it down. In fact, we have a conversation around it. Why do you think that tree looks different from the bush? Why do you think that, that the sun shines differently than the clouds? Like it's beautiful. That's their environment, right? Humanity is representative of nature within nature. We have differences you know, the reason why people are black is because they lived south of the equator. That's the only reason. When we were born, we lived south of the equator, so we had sun protection. Pigment is there to protect the sun, the body naturally from being depleted and deplenished from the sun. That's the only reason. And then people north of the equator have fairer skin because they didn't need that protection from the sun. Mm -hmm. So it's an opportunity to get into the science of it, of why things are different, right? Like why they look the way that they do. It's a very easy, uncharged way of getting into a conversation about race that is factually founded. And then you guys can do some some research together and look into why there is pigment in the skin, why some people have it, why some people don't. And it becomes a point of interest and fascination and learning, right? Why it's so important not to shut those conversations down is because we need to just have the conversation. We need to normalize race the same same way we normalize anything in nature as, you know, the differences are not innately wrong. It's what we make about the differences that says something. So that's how we need to be entering the conversations with our children, in my opinion. I feel like just hearing you use the word curiosity, like explore that curiosity, show them the beauty in different skin colors like you would out in nature, you know, and, and I can think of like all of the times, like in my own childhood, the the times you see, like, you know, you're at the grocery store and a child will be behind a black family and says something and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, you're not allowed to say that quiet. We don't talk about that. And that's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. what are we teaching? What are you teaching them? Oh, totally. And the thing that is, that feels so important to me in this conversation is we don't like to talk about the things we don't know. Mm. Right. Even if you're out in the woods, like I'm picturing Craig right now having like a conversation with Kane being like, why is that tree different than the bush? And Craig's like, I don't freaking know. Just like (laughs) walking, dude, you know, we have to arm ourselves with information to have the conversations. Like when your kid turns 10 and starts asking you about like the birds and the bees, like how are, you know, like, how does this actually go down? You know, 
you know, like you've already thought about it. You already have, like, you know, these questions are coming. And I think when it comes to race, when it comes to any hot topic, even, you know, like the more educated we are and the more we know ourselves, the easier it is for us to, to have those conversations and openly doesn't need to be a conversation that happens in your house behind closed doors. Like it can be in a grocery store lineup. Like we get to normalize those conversations. And I think that this is the level of like radical self-responsibility that our generation is now going to finally be taking to be like, how can we do this better? Yeah, we need to. We need to do better. We all have a vested interest in this. My sister Quinn often says that race does not belong to Black people alone. We all have a race, so we all have a vested interest in this. We will not live in a peaceful society that is you know, functioning at our best unless we get to a point where we are inclusive and we recognize the benefits of doing that because our children deserve better than that and our children are watching and they deserve not to be in a world where we're at war and there's polluting and and riots and these things in the name of somebody not being equal. And as long as somebody isn't, there's going to be someone who's fighting for that equality because it's oppressive and it hurts and it's dangerous and it's not okay I also think too, my compassion comes out as a mom in this because the mental load of, you know, being othered and then running a family, the stress of this, the stress that I felt in the, in the past two weeks over this, I have not been present with my children. I've been so distracted by my own trauma, my own pain, my own processing of all of this, that I'm just, I'm somewhere else. And I think this is how some people live all of the time all of the time. And their, their concern is more than compassion, which is what I'm feeling and empathy. And of course, my own as a black woman experiences that I'm starting to uncover because I have privileges as a black woman. I I grew up in Canada, in Toronto, where I have access to the medical system and grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood where I had access to schools where I was educated and things like that, where, and I've had what I think is so important, which is exposure to differences and things like that. Because I think a big part of this, the issue with racism is because people are not exposed to people that are different than them. And that's why it's so important to have diversity within your own environment and from everything that you're doing. Being anti-racism really requires you to really look at all of the choices you're making because when you expose yourself to someone, you hear the story that is the commonality that brings you together. You hear the story of a mom who wants to show up and be present for her child. That's something we can relate on. And so it takes down the sort of barrier of sort of there other than me, you recognize there's more that brings us together than doesn't. And I was talking about sort of how I've been just overwhelmed with the grief of this in the past two weeks and have just been not present as a mom and because I'm just my fuel my tank is not full and I think this is for people in U.S. or whoever has experienced this at a greater level to think about the stress and the anxiety that they're navigating to stay alive or to have those conversations daily you know the burden of that every day of how are they able to show up and take care of themselves You know, you guys speak beautifully to women about needing to take time and carve out that time for ourselves first, because if we don't do that, we're not good to anyone, particularly in the Black community, this is true. That is sort of a form of activism for Black women is to show up and take care of yourself, is to show up and be able to find time to do your practices of breath work or meditation or baths or essential oils to ensure you're whole and well because you're raising the future black people coming into the world and we need to be present for that experience we need to be present for them we need to hold that space but it's a it's an additional challenge right that that's part of the whole story which i have so much compassion for and i mean it's it's such a layered a layered thing on how many levels it really penetrates all areas of living. Yeah. And this is something that we have really been like bringing to our community even more so recently is like really taking care of like the woman. Yes. So important. And I do feel, I don't know if you guys can feel this too. I feel that there's a strong feminine rising, even with the pandemic, right? How we were forced to hunker down and to go within, I mean, some of us are doing that work of finding out through this inconvenience of being a pandemic, amidst a pandemic, all of this ha- is happening. 
What is the world asking of us? You know, what is this brilliant universe calling us to do? And I think for women in particular, it's calling us to find that truth that's within us. The best way I know to find that truth is to sit and be silent and connect to your breath and ask for the guidance and get silent and go within. The truth is within you and it will direct you to the right book, to the right podcast, to the right person, to the right account. This is long game, but it starts with us being able to trust that whisper that becomes louder and louder when we commit to the work of self-care of ourselves first, doing the work of meditation and breath work and and taking care of ourselves, using our essential oils and all of those things to be able to really trust that voice and that guidance so that we're showing up in a way that's really mentoring this conversation because it needs to come from there. We need to go beyond this thinking mind that makes us wrong and makes us guilty and makes us you know, vulnerable and makes us afraid. Like there's something steady beneath all of the noise that we need to come to and call on. And the next, the next right thing will just present itself and present itself and present itself. So commit to your own practices to get there so that you can trust that voice and, and move accordingly. That's I love that so much. And one of the quote, uh, quote that I just recently heard was truth is in the silence. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, man, it is. And, you know, we do. We're so lucky to live at a time where we have access to so much information and people and you know, it's such a blessing, but at the same time, it can be so overwhelming. And especially like you said, you know, in times of pandemic and with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything going on, it's so easy to feel inundated, right? And to not know, and that can make people feel really stagnant. And I think, yeah, taking time to just sit in silence, that's where you're going to find a lot of your direction. Yeah, so powerful when when you talk about, you know, it's finding your own truth. And one thing that's come up for me a couple times in this conversation that I've heard you say and that I know you really share through your own platform is like being that seeker of joy. And even when you were talking about, you know, the histories of of black women, of black people, it's like what histories are you choosing to look at? You know, like, what are you choosing to share with your, with your daughters? What, you know, where did you invite us to share with our children and seeing you really lead into the spaces where there is joy and celebration in black people's history was really felt really powerful to me. So important. If our spirits become dampened and darkened, then we're in real trouble. You know, we got to seek the light and go for it and go for it and be a light bringer to everything that we do, you know, everything we do. This is about being inclusive. This isn't to begin, you know, a war of races. That's not what this is about. It's to end the race war that's going on currently. It's to recognize that amidst all of this, we all belong here. And right now the focus is on black lives because they are the most oppressed at this, at this time. And they're the ones that are calling out with the most, angst and the most need and the most, you know, urgency of any other race on the planet, right? So we have to step up and bring them into this, you know, myself included, into this joy, into the light so that, and and we, and how do we do that? We have to find our own light. We have to be light seekers so we can spread that to humanity. You know, this is a human issue. This is what I, I said to my husband. I said, there's no way that a police officer who murders a man in his day job goes home and is a loving, devoted husband, is an upstanding citizen. You can't compartmentalize hate like that. If you are spending five minutes connecting to your light and your truth and being quiet and listening, then you're guided by something that is not separating you. You want to unite those parts of yourself. There's no part of you when you intrinsically feel your own worth and know you're worthy that wants to take anyone down. There's no place for that. All you want to do is lift people up when that place is authentic and real and that you can only be found within. So the psychology of the white men as well is very interesting. It's a very interesting component of the story of, you know, what is happening here that is moving through all of these different areas where we're seeing this sort of like perpetrators, essentially, where they're perpetrating other lives in all these areas. And we need to get to the psychology of that and understand 
it happens at a home level. So we need to understand and break down and sort of de-thread where this is coming from. And I think the way through is conversation, through listening, through, you know, finding the joy, finding the light, spreading that and doing your own work first. You know, you have to, you can be the best intentions, but if you're going out there quickly and you're going out there with this urgency before you're taking a moment to slow down and go within, your direction's not going to be as clear than if you do, right? And so we have to do that, you know, and I know that you have a a very strong female audience here and I'm speaking to mm-hmm. women, you know, it's mostly women who've been reaching out to me to have these conversations. It's mostly women who are mothering and birthing this new tomorrow that we know that we deserve, that our children deserve, that humanity deserves. You know, we are the births, the birthers of these of these stories. I see that all the time. I see it all the time. So we have to take care of ourselves in order to deliver. And I mean, hearing you say that, I feel like that just goes back to like what Molo Baby is all about. You know, that's what you stand for in your business, in your company. That's right. Molo is an acronym for Mother's Love. And the organization was built through the support that I received from my birth attendants, my midwives, when I was having my three home births and just recognizing that that wasn't something that all women had education or exposure to. And so I became very passionate about informing women that there's an alternative to what we see um, portrayed in the media of these traumatic, you know, eventful births, that there's there's another option out there for us and to just inform ourselves about them so that we can really make informed decisions. So you know, I feel like I've been training for this moment my whole life because I am a learner by trade. I, I, I'm always learning and growing. And then it's just my instinct to share what I learn, what I know. I think that's very feminine quality that we'll, what we learn, we want to share intrinsically. I think we like to bring our circles together, bring them in close and share and storytell and, and gather, right? That's, I think, as women a lot of us, that's what we do. And this is no different. It's, it's the same thing. Inform yourselves, know what's up, know what's happening so that you can speak from a place and make choices from a place of knowledge so that you have a real choice, right? The same thing in a birthing room. And I recognize in a lot of people, a lot of friends listening to my stories about the births, the home births that I had, that they really didn't believe me. They thought I'd sugarcoated it and was just having this kind of rose-colored view of my births because they were so beautiful and so powerful that they actually didn't believe me. And I thought more women just need to know about this and then they can choose and, you know, you can choose whatever direction you want to, but I'm just in the business of educating. I love this conversation. Yesterday I was doing a workout actually. And in the workout, the instructor was talking about this idea of sensation and that we give a meaning to every sensation. You know, our muscles start burning, we judge it. We start to, like, we, we desire to quit before the song is over and we, we give that feeling a meaning, you know, like we attach all these meanings to the sensations we're going through. And I actually started thinking about my births and my last birth was actually so hard. You know, they always say like, oh, the second one is like so easy. It's just going to like come flying right out of there. And you're like, oh, well, okay, great. Like, here we go. And mine was like double the length of time. And it felt so much like mentally, it just felt so much harder. And I was thinking yesterday as I was going through this workout class, Like what if in the birthing process and what if, you know, right now for giving birth to a new layer of humanity and a new way of living, like what if each contraction doesn't have to mean anything, right? What if we get to be okay with the pain and the discomfort and owning the mistakes and feeling the shame and it doesn't mean anything. It's just the process that we go through to build strength or to become new, or to educate, or to learn and try again, right? And what if that's just the way it gets to be, and and we all get to choose to do better, and that doesn't have to mean so much. It just means that there's something else, like there's another way of being. 
I love that because then it, you're looking at it, the context through the context and the filter of an invitation in to something, right? That mm-hmm. we often find that as like a barrier to entry. I've rubbed up against something uncomfortable. I need to run away. Bolt, but exactly. I bolt, get, get out of there, right? But it's like, what if that's the knock that's inviting you into something? On the other side of that, that's the gatekeeper of your freedom. And you have to move through it in order to unlock that. And I've really been practicing when I'm preaching in terms of stepping into that discomfort and being willing to be like, what's on the other side of this? And the only way you can determine that is through entering it, right? Not shying away from it, not being afraid of it. I have had a conversation even just today with my father-in-law who's white and he's an older white man and he came over to see the grandkids. And like, I'm 38 years old. I have not spoken about race this much in my entire life as I have in the past two weeks. I've not defined humanity by being black and white ever this much in the past two weeks. You know, it's just the distinction of that for the context of the conversation, but I've never categorized people in that way before. It feels so uncomfortable to me, but for the purpose of the growth that we need to see, the distinction is important. And so for me, I knew I, I, we were talking about everything and we hadn't talked about what's going on in terms of the racial climate in the world right now. And I felt so uncomfortable to bring it up. So I knew I had to. So rather than me being like, I'm going to retreat because something's telling me that you're uncomfortable, it's actually an invitation into it. So I moved into the conversation and I asked him, what do you think about what's going on? We ended up having a beautiful, profound 45 minute conversation where he had revelations that I had not had, that he had insights to things that I didn't even know he knew about. He, he spoke so eloquently and so informed that it was a disserv- it would have been a disservice to myself had I not entered into that conversation. And if I wasn't doing the practice of recognizing the knock of discomfort as a, an open door, I would have deprived myself of such a beautiful conversation. At the end of it, we both hugged. What it's doing, you guys, is deepening your relationships with people. So I know a lot of you are in a situation now in your own home, there's that discomfort to branch into these conversations and we're shying away from them because we might have an older relative or someone who we think might not have the same, a spouse or whoever it is, a cousin or a sister or whoever that whose views are not as progressive as yours necessarily, or you assume that they're not, or you've never broached the conversation. So you don't know what their views are and you feel timid to do it. That is the work. That's an invitation into that. I invite you to broach it with compassion for yourself, compassion for the other person. As soon as you find yourself in a position of defending, then we've moved away from what the purpose of the conversation is. As soon as you feel like you need to disprove or you need to attack, then I invite you to take a breath and remember what is at the the foundation of the, the reason for these conversations. Why are we having these conversations? Because lives are depending on it. We've been so quiet for so long that so many of us, it's like we were blindsided by this death. Why? It's been happening for centuries. I'm not alone in that. I mean, you're not alone in that. I, I, it was the same for me. It was like, as a black woman, I feel like I cannot believe how much I just normalized, mm-hmm. right? Because we weren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. So the a part of me feels so much gratitude that we're fucking doors were blown open and we have to talk about it now. Mm-hmm. There's, as Jacqueline said, there's no more not talking about it anymore. There's there's no more excuses about not knowing because now everybody is up for the conversation. So we can't say anymore we don't know, and that's just really going to free a lot of people who have been imprisoned in their own mental trappings. And that might be you, you know, that might want to be someone on this call that's listening to this podcast right now who feels just so encumbered by their own incarceration that we've built for ourselves. Right. And it's time to open the doors and just meet your discomfort where you are and move through it. And know on the other side of that is your own freedom. And that matters, right. It's really powerful. Well, I just wrote this down as you were talking as I feel like this is like such a message and like takeaway for all of our listeners today is using the knock of discomfort as your invitation in. It's a doorway in. I love that example that you used of like recognizing that you were uncomfortable in that situation and having that awareness to be like, oh yeah, right. This is your invitation, right? Because like we were saying that discomfort is usually when we bolt. 
right? Like, oh boy, see you later, right? But then going back to like your practice as a doula and your births too, it's like, you know, the thing that you have to do when you have a contraction is to lean into it. You know, like if you resist the contraction, your birth canal is not going to open. Like it's not going to happen for you. Right. So it's like, again, this bringing it back to that idea of like this birthing and this, like really allowing yourself to feel into it and not, yeah, not to like judge the sensation, but to actually like trust that you're going to be okay. You're going to have this conversation and it's going to create expansion. It's going to lead to new ways of living and for everybody, you know, for the entire world. It's like, finally, like there's something so visual, like we are, we're white and black, you know, like, and we can see it and like, we can't talk about it. How long is that going to be the case? I mean, it's, it feels like such a hard point. And like you said, like everyone was just like blindsided and just like, oh my gosh, you know, like, how is this happening? But it also feels like this giant rebirth. And like, once you know, you can't unknow, you know, and it does just feel like this big awakening where it's like, kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, thank God this is happening now. Feels like the Phoenix rising, like let it burn let it burn. Mm-hmm. I know we're so resistant to it burning. Let it burn. Let mm-hmm. it burn. And it uprises the Phoenix. There's something arising. Let it go. It wasn't serving any of us. If we really look into it, all of us, it's been a disservice to all of us. We've been living with the lies, the secrets, the, the silence, and it's killing us, not just black people, all of us. Because it's insidious. It's in everything that we do. What we're not saying becomes part of our relationship with our children, with our spouses, with our best friends, with our sisters, our mothers, our father-in-laws. You know, we can live better than this. We can live better than this. When we answer the knock at the door and we open up and we, we recognize as an invitation in, it unlocks the freedom to what you're looking for. And, and we can all relate to that, right? That, you know, this prison of our own making that we've sort of created in our silence where it's just speak it out loud. And then, and then once you do and you recognize you won't die from that, then the next time you speak your truth, it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier until you're just a truth teller. It's just your natural go-to. You've worked that muscle enough that it's just the natural impulse is to speak your truth because you will survive it you will survive that. Not only will you survive that, but you will thrive from that. And so will everybody around you. We are all connected. The work one of us does in our own home has a ripple effect and impacts hugely, greatly. People we don't even know. Have you heard of the butterfly effect? Where the butterfly Mm -hmm. flops its wind in Mexico and it can cause a hurricane somewhere completely different in the entire world? That's how vibration works. That's how connected we really all are. So do your own work, show up for the calls, recognize that it's birthing into something new that we couldn't deliver unless we had the surges. We had that discomfort within our own pregnancies and labor that we have to go through to birth something, right? That there's something beautiful at the end of that and lean into it, let it burn. Let it burn just feels so, I can't remember who it is right now, but there's a woman I've been following her message is like, let it burn. And like, every time something happens, you know, like the police in California losing funding and, but like all these things, she's like, let it burn, let it burn, let it burn. And it just feels so like visceral, you know, like you can just like feel it like, yes, like let it burn, you know, like, yes, fire is cleansing as well. Oh, Aaliyah, I love you so much. I feel like when we met, you know, eight years ago, we we both knew that there was like something mm-hmm. more for us and along this journey together. And I'm just so happy to like be here beside you in this moment and having you come on and share, you know, your story, your experience as a as a mother, as a woman navigating in this, you know, in this time as an educator. And I am so thankful for you to be here and to be willing to have in this having this like open, honest conversation with us. Thank you. Thank you for um yeah, just being open and allowing us to be vulnerable and yeah, just share. And thank you so much for taking the time and space. And yeah, just thank you. It's a total honor, you guys. And 
if there's one person on the call who feels freer and lighter and feels moved to make that one hard choice as an invitation in, then that's wonderful. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the space. That's what we're here for, right? We're here for that one person and one person gets the spark of movement. Yeah. And to create that invitation in, because I still believe that there are so many people out there who are waiting for that, you know, are waiting for the invitation and may not know what to do, but now they know just to follow the discomfort, to find silence and that the truth will come. Yeah. Yeah, And Aaliyah, before we um, part ways today, can you just let all of our listeners know where they can find more from you, where to find you online? Thank you. Yes, I would love to. You can find me on Instagram at molobaby, M-O-L-O-B-A-B-Y dot C-A. And my website's www.molobaby.ca. Thank you for your guidance. We have so much love for you. Mm, So mutual, you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. There really is nothing better than bringing a group of grown-ass women together. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and come get real with us every week as we spit our truths and get ready to rise. And if you know other women down to get real, please do us a favor and share this episode on the socials. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at ForTheWildFemme so we can give you a shout out. Instagram is definitely our favorite place to hang. So come join the combo there and we'll see you back here each and every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here. Get ready to rise. Love you, ladies. If you resonated with the messages in this podcast, we would love if you left us a review on iTunes or if you shared this with your community, you can tag the Femme Podcast on Instagram. If you're wanting to take this work just a little bit deeper, hop inside the weekly. Every week we meet, we've got guest coaches covering a wide array of topics on personal growth, development, to really help you sink into living your best life, to curating the lifestyle that really sets your soul on fire and choose what you pay. So you can pay whatever you like, $11, 33 or $77 for the entire month. You also get access to all of the recordings. Go take advantage every single month. We also donate part of the proceeds to a change-making organization. So while you are giving back to yourself and really connecting yourself with an incredible community, you're also giving back to the world. So we love you so much. We can't wait to see you inside that community to make change, to spark Ah, more collective love together. And as always, we're so appreciative for you and we love you so much. So thanks for listening and we'll see you right back in this same place next week.